0: This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening.
1: Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. In Palm Beach County, Florida, heroin overdoses became more common than any other medical emergency long ago. Last year, Delray Beach Paramedics responded to 748 overdose calls, 65 of which ended in fatalities. In Palm Beach County, first responders dealt with over 5,000 overdose calls. Most that overdose in the county are from the Northeast and Midwest coming to Florida for addiction treatment and recovery help. But what many of them find is a system with a rapid proliferation of troubled treatment centers, labs, and group homes where unknowing addicts are exploited for insurance money and left to fall deeper into addiction. My guest today is Dave Ehrenberg, the state attorney for Palm Beach County, who established a Sober Homes Task Force to combat the problem of sober homes as families send their loved ones to Florida for help and send them back home in body bags. Dave, welcome. Thanks very much for having me on. Let's start with the problem. Can you kind of frame for us the environment and how it's evolved there with the opioid epidemic?
2: Sure. Now, Palm Beach County, and Delray Beach in particular, have had a long history of a very active recovery community. And when the laws started to change, Through the Affordable Care Act uh, and Mental Health Parity Act, other well-intended laws that provided new benefits for individuals with behavioral health issues, including drug addiction, you started to see predators move in to take advantage of the new pots of money. And they descended upon Palm Beach County, because after all, that's where the people were who were already battling their addictions, and so they came down here uh, to open up new treatment centers, sober homes, outpatient treatment centers, inpatient, outpatient both, uh, labs, and there's this whole network now of, of private companies who depend on the new laws and insurance benefits and so forth to make huge profits off of the misery of of individuals. Now, there's there's a need, obviously, for a robust recovery community because there's, there's a demand for it. There are a lot of individuals at the lowest stages of their lives with substance use disorder who need treatment, but unfortunately, the, the bad players in the industry have outweighed the good. They have ruined the reputation of the entire industry. They have uh, siphoned away uh, patients who could get healthy with legitimate companies and, and manipulated them. And, Process of relapse instead of recovery, and and just to get rich, and that's what we're dealing with down here. And we're using our laws to to try to put people in handcuffs who deserve it, but we need the federal and state governments' help because we can't do it on our own.
1: So the predatory practices they date back to Obamacare and two thousand and eight, and and the passage of the health care reform at that point in time, right?
2: Well, it all started actually with the want to go uh, back in time. I, I would think with the um, it, the laws that made behavioral health equal to physical health problems, meaning the uh, Mental Health Parity Act, for example, and that uh, required insurance companies to offer benefits for mental illness. And then you had the Affordable Care Act, which created a whole new pool of money. So yes, well-intended laws have been manipulated by rogue operators to create a cycle of relapse instead of a cycle of recovery. And what's really cool is that there is no, you know, the, the, the laws have the wrong incentives. The laws are well intended, but the laws have no limitation on the amount of time to go through recovery. And with the ban on pre-existing conditions, the incentive is to get people back into relapse and create this cycle over and over and over again because that's where the money is. And you're dealing with people at the lowest stages of their lives who are incapable of making rational decisions on their own. So when the provider uh, encourages relapse, or even provides the drugs to relapse, the individual goes along with it because it's hard enough to remain sober as it is, let alone knowing that sobriety means that you lose your free housing and your community and your your perks. And you gotta go back home to you know a snowy northeast Of leaving, you know, instead of living with your friends here rent free without a job with everything taken care of here in South Florida.
1: So let's break this down a little bit. Let's start off with the bounty that's paid, the commission that's paid to initially get them in. How does that work? You know, uh, people are going into treatment. And the treatment is giving them free room and board at sober living houses. How's that whole system work? Can you break that down for us, Dave?
2: Sure. It all starts with the marketers who have a relationship with an inpatient treatment center or detox center. And you see the ads. There's an ad probably going on right now somewhere where it says, if you are ready to get sober, call us. And you'll call that number. And you'll be led to believe that you're being diagnosed when they're pushing you to a contracted rehab center, usually in Florida. And then the marketer will send you a free plane ticket. That in itself is illegal. That's the first legality in all of this.
1: So let me jump in. So these commercials, are they over the radio, on TV, or both? They're all over the place, billboards? What are we talking about so we can recognize this?
2: All of the above. I was... I was in the uh, West Palm Beach airport. Above the baggage claim was a you know big screen showing ads, and it was all ads for, for treatment centers. So it's everywhere. You call those numbers; those are marketers, and they will get you to a contracted treatment center. Not because it's the treatment center that is best for you. Not because a doctor has evaluated you. It's just whoever's paying them. So. You'll get sent to a treatment center. Now, if you're in the Northeast, you'll get a free plane ticket in many cases. That's illegal. That's a legal patient brokering, but that's how it starts. And then you'll go to the inpatient treatment center for 28 days. That's what insurance covers. You will have insurance now. You didn't have it before, but you'll have it now under the Affordable Care Act. Or if you don't have it under the Affordable Care Act, they'll get it for you. They'll apply for you under the health exchanges. So you will get, you will get insurance coverage to cover the 28 days. So inpatient treatment. Once you're here, you're not leaving.
1: So where does the money come from to supply that free plane ride?
2: The money comes from the treatment center that has a contract with the marketer. The marketer offers you a free plane ticket to come down to Florida. That plane ticket is paid for ultimately by the company you're, you're, you're flying to, You know the company you're going to be getting services from, the inpatient treatment center or detox center. Gotcha. That's illegal, but that's what they'll do. Okay. So now you go to that detox center that sends you the free plane ticket through the marketer. Mm-hmm. And then after 28 days, your insurance benefits are up. So, so now the, what are you going to do? Where do you go?
1: So they kick you out?
2: Well, yeah, unless you're... There are some places that have a special license for a day-night treatment center uh, for outpatient. It's an outpatient facility, but for the most part, you're done. 28 days are over. So where do you go? You go back home? No, you're, you're, uh, you're going you're to move into a sober house because the sober house usually has relationship with the inpatient center or an outpatient center that wants your business. And so the sober home will often charge you no rent. They'll let you live for free. That too is illegal because they're not offering a scholarship out of their good graces. If they do, that's okay. But that's not what they're doing. They're, they're actually going to, uh, send you, when you live there, to an outpatient treatment center they have a relationship with. And that outpatient center, which will drug test you three days a week, and give you group counseling, an outpatient center will make thousands off you in insurance reimbursements and will kick back the money to the sober home, which then can subsidize your rent by charging you no rent at all. And so this is a gravy train that continues until the insurance benefits run out for the outpatient center, that's usually eight weeks. So eight, eight weeks later, the outpatient center doesn't get any more money from your insurance company for your analysis or for the group counseling, and so that gravy train ends. So then you're kicked out of the sober home because the subsidies are over, and then where do you go? Well, you are supposed to go back home. Now you're supposed to be sober, but it's hard enough, like I said, to remain sober knowing that sobriety now means your housing is done, your friends are gone, you're Your perks they offer you in the house are gone, and you still have a hankering for heroin. So someone offers you heroin, you take it, and you relapse, and you go back into that cycle over and over and over again until you leave in an ambulance or a body bag.
1: That's tragic.
2: It's tragic because the laws that are designed to help you, the Affordable Care Act, the Mental Health Parity Act, are actually unintentionally leading to your demise. And it's because of unscrupulous actors who are preying upon these individuals with with substance use disorder. And it's not just the Affordable Care Act and the Mental Health Parity Act that are being manipulated. It's another federal law as well, the Americans with Disabilities Act, another well-intended law. The sober homes are too often flop houses. They're not the group home, drug-free, supportive environment that they're supposed to they're often run by nefarious individuals who run a flop house, and they know that the local governments have no regulation over them, no control over them, because they are protected by the Americans with Disabilities Act. The Americans with Disabilities Act was supposed to protect individuals with disabilities, but it has been used to protect flop houses uh, so- from government. Reach.
1: So what does that mean? And
2: it's a gift. How so? Well, if the city of Delray Beach wants to regulate these facilities, these sober homes, mm-hmm. they can't. They want to limit the number of them in their community. They can't. They want to require registration of them. They can't. They want to require certification of them, make sure they're legitimate. They can't. They they want to make sure the people living there are, mm-hmm. you know, are, are uh, people who have substance. Order, they can't they they can't do anything the disabilities act protects them
1: yeah so a system evolved that is just ripe for corruption
2: correct and and that's what's what biggest thing that is that shocks people is that you know people who are not familiar with this think that hey drug users are going to use and you know we should just spend more on counseling and rehab and it's going to fix the problem well you know rehab is important you can't arrest your way out of a drug problem but should know that there are current laws on the books that are leading to this problem, that are contributing to it, that are enabling this problem to occur. And until those laws are tweaked, clarified, or fixed, this is going to continue. And it doesn't have to be this way. This problem is not inevitable. It's not, uh, well, it is, it is fixable, and it, and, it, and it was preventable.
1: So which laws would you fix?
2: Number one, I would clarify the Americans with Disabilities Act to clarify the local governments can, for the safety of the residents in these sober homes, can implement reasonable regulations. Uh, and that will protect the people who live there, so to make sure their sober homes are sober homes and not flophouse. Not drug dens. Yep. Keep in mind that sober yep. homes are not treatment centers. They, there's no treatment going on there, so it's just a house. So there is no state regulation either. There's no uh, testing or certification or anything. So I would I would clarify that local governments can use their local government powers, their police powers, to have some limited regulation of these sober homes to protect the residents. That's number one. Number two, I would change the Affordable Care Act to incentivize recovery instead of relapse. I would give incentives to these facilities, these treatment centers, uh, to to have a uh, a better outcome. And so the ones, the treatment centers that have better outcomes should get more money, and the ones that continue to fail and have a high relapse rate should get less money. They should should be forced to treat these people again for for free instead of continuing to charge the federal government, the taxpayers, continue to charge them for their failures. So we should end this incentivized relapse. You can do that changes to the Affordable Care Act and Mental Health Care Act.
1: That's innovative.
2: And then these are simple solutions that can help fix this problem.
1: Sure, and I haven't heard of that before. That's that's quite innovative.
2: I uh, Thank you. <laughs> I think that if, uh, if, you know, we're not dealing with opposition in Washington, D.C. We're dealing with apathy. We're dealing with indifference. We're dealing with people who are legislators, politicians, who are not familiar with this problem, and so they're not dealing with it. They've got bigger fish to fry. And so, meanwhile... There will be 10 people dying every day in Florida alone from an opioid overdose. Two people every day in Palm Beach County this year. And it doesn't have to be that way.
1: Please go on with the legislative changes that you would suggest, Dave.
2: Another thing I would do would be I would pressure the Chinese government to get tougher on fentanyl. The fentanyl that is poisoning our young people, that is being spiked into... Heroin is is coming from China through Mexico very often, and uh, but it, it is often shipped directly from China, or at least it's produced in China. And the Chinese government needs to clamp down on it. They say they are, but we haven't seen that yet. Now we used to have a problem with flocka. Flocka is this horrible drug that makes people think they're you know makes people zombies and they fight off bases. It's awful. That was coming from China, too. The Chinese government finally got tough on it, and we don't see it anymore on the streets here in Florida.
1: How do you spell that, Dave?
2: Flakka is S-L-A-K-K-A. Okay, thank you. So you can do the same thing for fentanyl, just the Chinese government needs to get tougher on it. I was recently in China, and I implored government leaders to snap down on it. They say they are, but like I said, we haven't seen it yet. I think that needs to be a higher-level conversation from our government leaders to the Chinese government.
1: In fact, we did a podcast on that off of a uh, a report. Uh, I think it was a report in the Wall Street Journal. At any rate, um, what they learned was that it will take, you can order online the raw materials uh, for about $87. You put that together with a little bit better than $700 of material that's available domestically. And for just over $800, you can create in your own basement uh, fentanyl that is has a street market value of over $800,000. Right now you can do that. To your point, it's very important for them to address that. And um, we're seeing fentanyl-laced heroin, as well as even marijuana, up in our neighborhood. And the fentanyl-laced heroin is somewhere on the order of 80% of the heroin that's coming into the area is laced with fentanyl.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is not your father's heroin anymore. This is now heroin commonly laced with fentanyl and carfentanyl, which is an elephant tranquilizer. Where only a few particles will kill you, and that's what we see the death these days. This is—it's usually uh, heroin laced with fentanyl. There's no way for the user to know when their heroin has fentanyl in it. There's no way to know until you're dead. Yeah. But what what's so tragic is it shows you how. Devastating these drugs are, and what a hold it has upon your your brain once you get an addiction to heroin. That there was a uh, bad batch of heroin that came in a few months ago that had a record ten deaths in Lake Worth alone, right here in Palm Beach County, one city, ten deaths. And on one night, I mean, it was a it was an re- all time record. And so the medical examiner that warned everyone of And in fact said, in all caps, you have been warned about this bad batch of fentanyl that's there. And then I heard from law enforcement that 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 word, the word that there was a bad batch, got out and encouraged users to seek it out. I mean, instead of getting people to stay away from it, it had the opposite effect by telling people essentially that, hey, here's this crazy high you'd get. So what? You may die. I mean, and that's, that's how gripping these drugs are. You know, I've been with people who say, hey, you know, it's their own doing. They're doing it themselves. You know, maybe the first time they take the drugs could be conscious choice, but you know, once you're addicted, you lose your sense of choice and your ability to make rational decisions. The only thing that matters in the world is getting more of those drugs.
1: And we've had the same experience here with all of the people that I've talked to when you ask them, the, the people that are struggling with substance use disorder, uh, you ask them about fentanyl. When they find out that there's fentanyl-laced heroin in the area, what do you do? Do you avoid it or do you go to that? And most of them say, no, we're drawn to that. We want the good stuff.
2: Exactly. And that to me was a real shocker. I, I've been working in this area for a while, and I guess you I, I shouldn't have been surprised to hear that. But to me, it, it, it when the medical examiner is saying, you will die, And people are saying, hey, where do I get some of that? It it just shows you how devastating this stuff is. It's called chasing the dragon.
1: So let's talk a little bit more about the task force. So you set up the task force. How long ago was that, Dave?
2: Well, the task force was set up in July of last year. We got funding from the state legislature. And the task force has been, there's three parts to it. First, there's a law enforcement part. And then there are two uh, committees that meet to to suggest changes to the law. And the law enforcement part has, has led to 30 arrests so far, and that's been a big step in the right direction. Because before that, there were no arrests. I mean, this, these individuals were doing this with impunity. And so we really uh, are turning the corner now. And the, the grand jury report plus the task force reports were all included in the legislation we recently passed.
1: So now you're just starting to get some traction you might say, in your community there? Because I know you've got over 800, if I'm not mistaken, treatment facilities right there in Palm Beach County, right?
2: Well, the 800 figure is the number of sober homes in the city of Delray Beach alone. Now, I cannot vouch for that number. We don't know how many sober homes, right? I mean, there's no registration, so we don't know. That's just a guess from the mayor of Delray Beach. I I think now, especially after our recent efforts to clamp down on the abuses in the industry that there are fewer than 800. I don't believe uh, it's up to 800 anymore. I think it's, I think it's um, it's far fewer now.
1: Well, I tell you, this has really been informative. This is, uh, you're, you're doing some amazing work. So uh, I want to thank you uh, for, for one thing. And, and just uh, Dave, uh, before we conclude, do you have any final comments here for our listeners? And, and, let me just, well, not just one question. I want to do two questions here. First of all, for communities that would want to start a similar program uh, as you've started, what advice could you give them?
2: I think, I think the key is to get a you know get law enforcement um, and homeowners and you know, stakeholders together uh, to be prepared for this, to know what the laws are, look at our task force report, look at our grand jury report, you know, you just got to know that what the rules are. Like there are limits on what law enforcement can do. They can't go undercover into a sober home or treatment facility without getting a certain waiver. You know, there's certain, uh, title 42, uh, federal waivers that are needed. Uh, you know, there's, there's all these restrictions because these places are protected under the ADA and uh, in other federal laws. So, you know, law enforcement needs to, uh, get up to speed with what they can and can't do. Uh, The uh, local governments need to know what they can and cannot do. They can't just zone these places out of existence and violate the Americans with Disabilities Act. So there's all these pitfalls, and that's what we've already been through them, and we're happy to be a resource to any community that needs us.
1: Outstanding. Before we leave, um, yesterday the Senate dropped their latest version of the health care bill any reaction?
2: Oh, I think um, it's a grave disappointment what the, uh, the politicians in Washington, D.C. are doing to our health care system. I, I just, I, I got to tell you, I mean, these these bills do not fix Obamacare. They, they pretty much undo the Affordable Care Act. And yeah, there are problems with the ACA, and I've mentioned some of them. But let's fix the problems. Let's not just throw the baby out of the bathwater. I mean, what they're doing will lead to millions uh, losing their health insurance, uh, millions of other people paying more for their health insurance. So you are going to get less coverage uh, for a higher price if you get coverage at all. And to me, that's cold. It is mean. I think the president uh, was right when he referred to the House bill as mean, and I think that the Senate bill seems even meaner.
1: So what's that going to do for the opioid epidemic?
2: It's going to reduce the number of dollars for recovery. Uh, it may uh, eliminate some of the fraud and abuse out there. But again, you can do that without eliminating all the benefits. I mean, you can, you know, it's like, hey, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about fraud and abuse because no one's going to get these benefits anyways anymore. That's, that to me is not the answer. The answer is provide benefits to those who need it without taking them away from those. Uh, you know, provide benefits to those who need it um, at the same time eliminate the the fraud and abuse. And you can do that. You don't have to eliminate everything to eliminate the fraud and abuse.
1: Well, once again, Dave, thank you so much. Do you have any final thoughts, final words for our listeners?
2: No, I just appreciate that you're doing this. I think education goes a long way. And hopefully we can save lives by just spreading the word of what's going on.
1: My guest today has been Dave Ehrenberg, who is the state attorney for Palm Beach County who established a unique task force. It's a Sober Homes Task Force to combat the problem with corruption with sober homes in Palm Beach County, Florida. My name is Greg McNeil, the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's People, Places, and Things Making a Difference in the Opioid Epidemic.